welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Nadia. And I'm Joey. And we have a guest with us today. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a bit about you? Yes. Hi, my name is Samer Grawi, or I go by Samir Grawi. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a queer Palestinian and Syrian artist, emerging artist. I'm a vocalist. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell, um, tell us a little bit about your music? Yeah. So uh, my music kind of focuses on, uh, like for right now, my path to sobriety, because I really struggled with addiction I um, my whole family struggles with addiction it's one of those Arab things that you just don't talk about Um, Mm -hmm. but we all have that aunt and that uncle that is just drunk all the time and um, we're just told to ignore it and so I feel like um, my music is kind of used as a way for me to like channel my healing and just on my journey to sobriety I would say like I love to sing R&B. I love jazz. Jazz was my first love. I um, also, of course, love like Feirouz and Umkatoum and whatever you have it. <laughs> I grew up on that stuff. So it has a special place in my heart. And uh, even though I don't identify as a religious person or a Christian person, I uh, do sing gospel in South Central and try to add that to um, my music as well. How did you kind of like fall in love with each of these styles and when did you start getting into music yourself? Um, So I would say my upbringing was very conservative. I wasn't allowed to listen to any music that was not praising God. So I I, um, went through a lot of like when I would go to my Khalo's house, I would be able to like hear Kiss FM and Radio Disney. And I remember uh, thinking it was like the coolest thing, uh, thinking like Lady Gaga is so cool. Uh, and just kind of hearing that early 2000s R&B that was playing uh, on Kiss FM, that was kind of like my first like, oh, this is like really, really nice. Like, I really, really like this. And I, I just, I felt, I found um, a secret love for it that I I never really expressed until I was 16 because um, I was brainwashed and conditioned to believe that if I listen to that type of music, I'm going to hell. And uh, so, yeah, I, (laughs) my first experience with like really like truly loving music because I had a choice in it, I would say was when I would go to my fellow's house and like he was married to an American woman. So they were like liberalized and she would play, you know, Kiss FM in the minivan. And so it was just, it was, (laughs) that was definitely my first exposure to R&B. I would say that because I was around a lot of church music, I found a lot of solace in the black woman of my church. And when the black woman would sing, I loved it. I was like, they made me want to worship God. They made me want to be there. (laughs) So I grew a love for gospel from some, a couple women in my church named Ingrid and Pat. And they kind of uh, were one of like my role models for, that kind of like allowed me to have that outlet of listening to uh, like gospel music, but in a church setting. And then by the time I got to 
high school, I joined the chamber choir and that's when I decided that I could sing. And so that's just, I don't know, that's like a long version of my answer. It's a podcast. <laughs> We're about long versions of things. <laughs> nice. That's what this is for. Uh, I guess to backtrack for a second, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Chino, California, Chino okay. Hills, Ontario, and the Inland Empire, California. And your, your family is um, both uh, Syrian and Palestinian? Yeah, my mom is Palestinian, and my dad is a descendant of Syrians that immigrated to Lebanon. <laughs> Same, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. My, my mom's family's that, too. Yeah, yeah. Nice, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yeah, tell us more about um, what your kind of early life was like. Um, so I would say, like, I, I mean, I had said, like, it was really, really strict Christian. Um, my parents paid a lot of money to put me into a Christian school. And it was like 90% Dutch. And they, it was very, very, yeah, yeah. It was like, they were all Dutch farmers. And so... I was like one of the only kids that was just not white. And so that was like, I think one of the biggest, uh, I think one of the the things that really shaped me the most is that like, for many reasons, I felt so different at that school. I never knew why. Um, I just knew I wasn't like everybody else. And I didn't really realize I was gay, but I just knew that I was feminine and, I'd rather hang around women and whatever. So it was like, um, so that was like, I, I went to that Christian, private Christian school up until, uh, until eighth grade. And so I was always that super innocent kid that wanted to do everything right and wanted to get the best grades and um, wanted to do the, everything that was expected of me. I just like wanted to meet my parents' standards. And from an early age, my parents could tell that I was gay. And so they consulted in a man from Mississippi who had written a book on conversion therapy. And they he like sent them like a guide basically on how to convert me. I mean, obviously it didn't work. Uh, You're on this podcast. But... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so for a lot of my childhood, it was I was kind of conditioned into like following this, uh, I guess this way of life on being on a road to being straight. I was forced to be in like sports all year round, even though I was fucking awful at them. I was just absolutely awful at them. But I was forced to go into sports and I was forced, like I remember one time in my childhood, my dad said to me like, you hang out with a lot of women. I want you to come home and like, tell me like, how many boys do you talk to today? Like how many like guys in your class? <laughs> this, you seems, <laughs> this seems strangely counterproductive in retrospect. <laughs> I completely, completely agree. And so, you know, it's crazy because now that I am growing and becoming the person that I am, I noticed that I have that voice in my head still. Like when I'm in a group, with my friends and that like the majority is women I'm like I still will be like well I'm the only guy or how many guys are like in this group so I definitely uh 
am healing and growing from that experience. But I will say my parents have made a complete 180 and accepted me uh, completely. Yeah. And um, like my mom is really into, she's like into these like mom it's like moms for gay kids organization or something <laughs> i love that well wow. yeah. um yeah i i love to hear it when that story ends that way i feel like yeah. we don't always hear that um but that's amazing um it's just funny the way you describe like obviously the ways that we people try to turn people straight they're traumatic for the obvious reasons but it's also like what do we think straight men are supposed to be like they're never friends with women like that that seems like a bad plan for society if if like straight men can't have functional relationships with women like yeah uh, it's just it's like i'm just gonna need you to see this woman as a sex object are you seeing me as a sex object yet yes exactly (laughs) do you have a brain Well, I, I completely agree. And you know what's crazy is that like we serve a society. I mean, like literally worldwide, it's just like men just kind of straight men cater to each other. They like want to do things for Which is kind of gay. It's kind of gay. Yeah. <laughs> Big it street really is kind is. of gay. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I always like wished I was like the other guys growing up. And now I honestly view my sexuality and my experience as like the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I imagine like can I just can't imagine like if I actually was straight the type of Arab man I would be like you know like it's scary to think about it's really really scary to think about yeah I think sometimes we need like to be forced to question like the trajectories were set off on and like being queer kind of like forces you like nope this is again it's not going to work how hard I try um but then when you think like what if nothing forced me to question my upbringing or question the role society placed in us it's it's kind of terrifying I mean that's what a lot of people do unfortunately so. yeah yeah. And then they wake up at like 40 something in bed with a man or woman, not their partner. And they're like, maybe I should address this. <laughs> and then right. they just proceed to blow up their whole lives. Thankfully, that's a lot less common mm. lately. Mm. I would say that Arab men or just Arabs in general wouldn't address that. <laughs> it's all about denial. <laughs> yeah which is so sad it's yeah yeah, I feel like a lot of our cultures there's so much like sweeping under the rug um, which sometimes comes with like tacit acceptance of things so it's not all terrible but it's also like if we start on if we start unpacking things we have a lot of things to unpack especially from the Lebanese perspective it's like yeah let's just not talk about anything it's fine Mm. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to gossip about everything, but we're not going to address anything yes. like head on. Oh, you know? my God. Rehash and rehash and rehash for yeah. 40 years. Shit that happened 40 years ago. But it's like, but it's like, they don't care, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. So, Ellie, you're Lebanese. Guilty. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, both my parents are, and I am still getting shit about stuff I did 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. it never dies. Mm, yeah. To be fair, though, I was a cringeworthy little kid. So, but like, who wasn't? <laughs> who wasn't though? Um, I, right. Yeah. I guess, kind of on that topic, like, um, a lot of your music is about like unpacking trauma, about kind of un unsweeping that rug. That's not the right phrase, but um, kind yeah. of looking at what's inside there. Um, do you wanna uh, maybe we can play a couple of your tracks or um, maybe two, is there a track you okay. want us to play and then you can we can talk about it afterwards? Yeah, um, I would actually love that. <laughs> like, oh my god, I have to like sit here and watch people listen to me. Oh my god, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I love my track that I just released. It's my favorite one. Um, it's I ain't got no time, and so yeah. <laughs> and let's roll it. kind of the inspiration behind this 
All of so, it. <laughs> start from the beginning. Um, I would say that when I got sober, I realized a lot of my friends and my family didn't have my best interest in heart. And aside from that, didn't really have anything in common with me or me with them. And so I remember just having to really clean house of a lot of core people that were in my life because I, I, I mean, like when I'm, when I'm sober, I was faced with the reality of the situation. And that was that we served each other as enablers. I enabled mm -hmm. them and they enabled me. And once I cut that out of the mix, I realized that so many of my friends and family um, didn't respect me or respect the fact that I was getting sober. They would come to my house and want to party. And when I would say like, hey, you know, I'm doing the sober thing. I have 30 days, I have 60 days, whatever. Like, they're like, oh, don't like, that's okay. Can I just, can I drink in front of you? And it's like, <laughs> and it's, it's just, it made me realize that um, I just, now that I'm sober, in order for me to stay sober, I can't tolerate or uh, feed into the bullshit. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't say like, I'm, you know, I enjoy you as a person or I enjoy you as a friend because I realized in that moment that um, most of the people in my life were just enabling me in my addiction. So I, uh, I wrote this song because there was one night that I was just wanting somebody to go home and they were just not going home. Days turned into weeks and all they did was drink and smoke at my house. And I felt extremely disrespected, but at the same time, I didn't like, I didn't have the tools in early sobriety to be like, uh get out <laughs> like this my house so I channeled a lot of my resentments into music and that was just kind of one of the resentments of I had of like I don't have time I have no time to watch you sit in my own house drink and smoke and just like just lose yourself so yeah. How did they take that? <laughs> what... Like, how did that come about with them? Like, did you say, hey, look, you can't do that here anymore? Or were you, was it dramatic? Or was it more like, yeah, you guys are just not getting the invites anymore. How did that go? Yeah. So I'm an Arab and I act on emotionally rationality. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair. No, and I, and I am getting better. But I definitely at first, um, I would say I'm busy. I'm busy. And which I was busy but I was not being truthful in the fact that I was saying like I don't want you in my life anymore and so I got to the point now that when these people do approach me and are like I miss you let's hang out let's go get drinks oh wait I'm able to say thank you for reaching out I really hope you're doing well but I don't want to pursue a friendship with you at all and it's very direct but it's something that I had to I had to do because I had tried to communicate to a lot of people before about how I would rather like, if they're gonna hang out with me, I would appreciate that they're sober for now just because I'm in early sobriety. And when we did hang out, it was like just complete silence. Like, <laughs> like what do we do? 
<laughs> we yeah. have nothing in common. And so I realized it's, it's not salvageable, you know, in that moment, like I tried to communicate and, and say that this is what I need and want. And uh, realized we had nothing in common. So when they kept trying to say, like, basically, I felt like hitting me up to see, are you still sober? Are you ready to drink again with me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was able to just be like, no, I am still sober. I hope you're doing well. And I truly mean it. And I love that I got into that place now that I can, like, truly wish um, them healing and a life of success just not not in my corner please <laughs> yeah that's important I've um I feel like we don't really have like the way you said it was great I feel like we're not really given those scripts for like friendship breakups we're like taught about how to have like very clear direct ends to romantic relationships but like we kind of expect friendships to either just like stick around or fizzle out um and sometimes that's not what needs to happen um like how did they yeah. take it though like were they was there like any pushback or was just everyone just sort of like wandered off because like oh my god he's so boring now <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know that's crazy you say that because i felt so boring and i realized that my lives were not having the intense highs and the intense lows. And I wasn't boring or bored. It was that I was finally stable. <laughs> like, and I think that's, and what how they took it, a lot of people didn't respond. A lot of people said they don't harbor any resentment towards me and they, they will always love me and they wish me the best. And of course, you know, some of them are family members. So I hear the chit chatter through the Arab grapevine of them, you know, I wouldn't say they would they are wishing me the best I would say the actual opposite mm -hmm. but I could say that at least my side of the street is clean today and I don't have to feed into into this these Arab dynamics I don't go to family gatherings anymore I told my mom like and for a long time I went to family gatherings because my mom would isolate herself in a room for like two weeks and like throw a pity party if I didn't so finally the guilt was like, trip the guilt trip yes yeah the guilt yeah. trip and just like oh I wish I wish you were close I wish you were still close to my family and it's like I tried I really tried <laughs> I genuinely tried I tried with all of my might to the point that I was blue in the face so I um don't I don't go I don't go I don't I I, I just don't I don't feed into it and I can't for my well-being I have to I've had to like check like how people respond or how people don't respond is none of my business because when I make it my business, I go crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I, I like what you said about like being at a point where you can like genuinely wish them the best, but not want anything to do with them. Like, cause you can recognize yeah. that people are on their own trajectory and they have their own issues and they need to recover from some shit too, but right. you can't, you can't get, you can't get dragged down into your shit, into their shit, yeah. right? Like it, it's sometimes you gotta be like, I, I hope you get better, but I can't be the person who walks you through that. And it took me a long time to get there because I grew up in a family that was very angry, outwardly angry towards each other. My home environment was very hostile. So I don't really, I'm not very connected with emotions, but with anger, I'm so good at it. <laughs> Gotta love and, that that male socialization. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 
Men are purely logic and emotional, except for the angry. Angry is okay. Just that, just that emotion. <laughs> well, I'm working on that with my therapist because I feel like I, I, I pushed everything down for so long to the point that I don't even know how I'm supposed to feel. Like I will, I'll, my my eyes will water and I'll feel like I'm about to cry and I'm like, yes, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. Finally, I'm making progress with my therapist, and then nothing <laughs> comes out. And so anger is an is a emotion that I'm very familiar with. And so old me or past me uh, definitely would not have wished them well. <laughs> so I'm glad to be at that place of having feeling compassion, like complete compassion and knowing that I've, I've done wrong too. And I want compassion for my wrongs. So I have to forgive people and just move on but not like forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting and I really liked also what you said about um about like we don't we're not really taught how to deal with friendship breakups mm -hmm. like it's so true and that's why I wanted to make a song kind of about a friendship breakup because everything you hear on the radio is about just relationships or romantic straight relationships and and nobody ever talks about like, you know, it sucks losing your best friend. It, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and friendship can be beautiful. And it can also be like abusive and toxic, just like, just like romantic relationships and familial relationships. And it's, it's just as important of a thing in a lot of our lives. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, self-care is ultimately selfish and you got to sometimes destigmatize that. Mm. Yeah. I love that you said that, you know, it is selfish and I have a problem with being selfish. Like loving myself is something that is really hard for me because all my life I was never enough and I never met the Arab standards and protocol you know, like, why did Samer want to make what I have? Like, that's a woman's job. You know, why did Samer want to make, you know, anyway, that's a woman's job. Like, why does he want to do like, why is he the one sweeping the kitchen and his sister's on the couch watching TV? Like, there's something going wrong here. <laughs> Again, like, even if you were supposed to be straight, like, why are we setting up straight men to like, make their wives miserable here? <laughs> <laughs> I know what right? you mean. Like, I know what you mean. I mean, have you seen Why are women? They're hot. They have options. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And I love the Arab women. And it's just our 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 society is just the the way that it makes women feel and use women. It's just it's I I have a lack of words because it upsets me. Deeply. like we don't even have like proper vocabulary for a lot of this like a like we've spent the last like 300 years mythologizing at least in the western tradition like this romantic love about you know finding your soulmates love of your life but when it comes to like you know managing friends and family it's like like it's like when are we going to get the college course on that you know Mm. <laughs> yeah I completely agree because I think that's actually one of the most important keys to living a peaceful life is knowing how to communicate and deal with issues that are just outside of quote-unquote your soulmate 
so that's that all is the inspiration behind this song um can you tell us about like the uh kind of on the more like technical front what was the process of um writing it creating the um, production all of that oh so i am very new to like being i guess you could say a professional i um i go to school i go to music school and so i've learned how to uh, work in logic and pro tools and these are just like um production softwares that i can use i bought a sample off of splice because i really wanted the inspiration for this song to sound like blue can trails hit em up style oops it was one of like my favorite songs my like you know my secret pleasure when i was mm -hmm. growing up was like <laughs> blue can trail hit em up style oops so when i when i heard that sample on it i was like oh my gosh I, I could totally uh, make this, you know, kind of that like 2000s R&B with the ooze and stuff like that. So I, I kind of, I, I, I liked that. That's kind of like my reference track is like what we call it. Like when I was producing and mixing, I wanted it to sound similar or I drew inspiration from that track. And I um, had to watch a lot of YouTube because it's even though I go to school for this there's nothing like scrolling back and pausing <laughs> you know and YouTube saved my life there's actually a guy um, named DJ Wavy Wayne and he does makes music that I would never listen to but his production is amazing <laughs> so i you know, really broke down a 40 minute video of DJ Wavy Wayne's uh, production techniques in Logic. And it took me two weeks because I wanted it to be perfect. I'm a perfectionist. Mm. Like I laid all the vocals down and I put in the sample and, you know, the bass that you hear and the organ that you hear, that's, you know, me on my keyboard. And then I have the Zagruta, I had my cousin Ayla send me Zagruta, and then I had my hey. cousin Neri send me Zagruta, and um, and I was asking everybody for a Zagruta, but nobody was trying to come through and give me <laughs> one. <laughs> so maybe they're nervous to... that they're not good enough at it because I, I feel like I'm yeah I'm not, I'm not good lot, enough like <laughs> yes a lot of people and I used to say the same thing and after I finished the track I was like. I could actually do it and I always <laughs> thought I couldn't but um what I ended up doing is I took my cousin Ayla and my cousin Nettie's like voice memos and I made like three copies of each and I pitch corrected each one to sound like a choir of Arabs <laughs> so that was my <laughs> inspiration behind the Zagruta part but um I would say I wanted it to like all be perfect. I wanted it to sound good in my headphones. I wanted it to sound good on my laptop. I wanted it to sound good in my sister's car or my mom's car. And, and so there was a lot of back and forth. Like, I think if you can see my desktop, I have like, I ain't got no time. This is the one, like, I think it, 
is probably like this is the one number one this is the one number two this is the one number three to the point that it was like this is the one number 24 <laughs> it's still and the the track that finally made it was like one that was just like hopefully it's the final and that was the one so <laughs> yeah I, I I know what you mean I've done like film projects where I'm like whatever final whatever final two whatever actual final <laughs> <laughs> actually and if somebody really wants to dig down if you go through our actual published uh mp3s for the podcast you'll see that oh you can see those our... titles yeah yeah like on the, on the file names so i love that i'm gonna pay attention now <laughs> oh that is awesome i feel like... like maybe when people release music they should like keep that in like have yes. that it. like you know how like it's somewhat on the lines of like panic at the disco titling except like leave the whole file name in titling you know i love that i almost kept my cousin Nettie's like the whole zagruta in the thing because yeah in the voice memo she was like sorry i'm in ikea I wanted to like keep the sorry I'm in Ikea so bad like in the in the finalized project but it just didn't go well especially with all like the editing and the production I did it was like super echoey and but I know what you what you're meaning like you kind of like you kind of want to incorporate some humanity into these like polished projects like show the stitches yeah exactly bring back the the b-sides and the hidden tracks man (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also just love the image of like somebody recording a zahruta in in IKEA, like that, <laughs> next to like the little like some miniature model apartment with like half a chair. I know, I know. I love my cousin Nettie. She's always out shopping somewhere. I was out shopping somewhere. So I had asked like people a couple of times and nobody, I, I wanted like a long one, you know, but nobody would send it to me. So I just pitched corrected the like the little, li, 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 I'm in Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I kept it. I really do, but it didn't work out. Maybe the yeah. extended the extended version will have that at the end. Yes, um, you know what, it's a good idea. That or like when you do a for YouTube post on your channel, just like after the thank you for supporting me blurb, here's all that other stuff we're linking. Then at the very end, just and it's like I'm in IKEA. Yeah, that's actually so smart. And you know, and that's what I I I love that. I love that I have like a village here supporting me as well. Like the artwork that I had to was one of my best friends in sobriety, my Egyptian sister, Rhonda, AKA Renda. She did the photographs for me. And I just loved that I had like every bit of like my village in there, you know? And I'm gonna definitely take that idea and start using that. I actually might patent that because now I, my thing is I always say, hi, my name is Sam Elgrawi, or you can call me Samer. You know, so <laughs> I might just have that at the end as an outro. <laughs> um, but uh, one thing I did want to ask about is uh, your path of sobriety. Like, how did that actually start? Did you go to like meetings or when did you like figure you had to stop? Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about um, it. 
oh yeah i i i love to be open about this i do because i i feel like i'm not only healing for me i'm healing for the generations that didn't have the resources to even acknowledge that alcoholism is a thing drug addiction is a thing i mean god's sake like food addiction is a thing so i um i my parents gave me an ultimatum years ago and they sent me to rehab and I hated every second of it because it was just well when I first got to this rehab in Riverside I I loved it I now that I look back on it I'm like I had so much fun we used to like have three meals a day talk about our feelings and sit under a canopy and smoke <laughs> it's like it was nice but um, once I left that place, I ended up going to like a sober living that was um, all like straight, young frat guys. And so that was really, really, really hard for me. And I think because I had that experience, um, I had this kind of view on what like AA is and what sobriety means. Like if like you're telling me like in order to get sober, I have to live in a house with like 16 straight men who like barely bathe and are like extremely like you know on the down low homophobic like I don't like I don't care if you're gay but just don't hit on me type of people and so <laughs> I um like you know, I'm not gonna towards... hit on you. You don't bathe. I, like... I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Oh my god. Please, <laughs> please, <laughs> darling. Yeah. I know you haven't washed these sheets in six months. I'm not gonna jump you on them. <laughs> and you know, I will say that in a way, I stayed there. I think around three months. And in a way, towards the end, they I really grew a love and an understanding uh, for the men in that house because, I mean, I kind of had to because <laughs> I lived there. And so I, I, I remember that day I called my friend Jewel and I told her, come pick me up, bring a joint, I'm out this bitch. And I, and I just packed everything up and I left and I was gone for two more years. But then when my um, best friend's little sister died uh, from a meth overdose, I sang at her funeral. And I remember singing at her funeral and I was singing songs next to her casket and thinking like, like that's going to be you. Like that's going to be you one day with the way in the time that like the way that you're going with this that's how you're gonna be and that was kind of like a wake-up call especially because like we mourned her death for like three days by getting drunk in her honor but she passed away from alcoholism and drug addiction <laughs> like make it make sense um so it doesn't but it, it does yeah right yeah. right yeah yeah. I mean, like straight cisgender young men, like their answer to everything is let's go drinking. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it's Friday. Let's get fucked up. You know, not not mm -hmm. just like not just straight cis guys, like a lot, a lot of queers, too. Like we just. Yeah. 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 I, but I feel like we get a lot of that just growing up from like straight culture, just because it feels like drinking is the appropriate response to anything. Shit goes wrong. Let's go get a drink. Let's be social. Yeah. Let's get a drink business deal let's get some drinks <laughs> yeah 
yeah, I mean, t- yeah, I think it's everywhere, really, right? Because it's like that. It's like the business social thing. But then it's also like, like a lot of us, like bars are the first, like, like yeah. queer spaces, and like we, we were taught, like that. That and, oh my god, that's how you find community, you know? Yeah, like, I, I, I agree. Like I remember, like my friends telling me, like much older queers, about how like the bars were the only spaces they could get like information on HIV or getting tested in their communities. So like imagine like having the like bars being your only support structure and then having to be sober. Yes, right. And I think that's also, like I say, where there is oppression, there is rampant addiction all the time. And so I feel like as the LGBT community has just gone through what we've gone through, and as the years go by, a lot of the quick solution, the easy fix is to congregate and get fucked up because then at least we don't have to deal with all the trauma of living in everyday life <laughs> as who we are in that moment. And I think that's also, you know, kind of why I I, and I agree because I, I feel like that's why that was the only place you could really get uh, information on like HIV and stuff like that because, you know, I get it. I I lived that life for so long because I couldn't stand who I was and like all the pain I went through. I'd rather just not deal with it. So yeah, like um, when we were mourning her death, uh, that was something that was an eye opener for me. And I went to, I went started going to meetings and I found queer people of color meetings. And that's what changed my life. Um, I actually secretary and lead a meeting on Sunday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time that is called uh, Black Indigenous and People of Color Family Meal. And so it's like mm-hmm. all uh, people of color that are queer or, you know, within the LGBTQIA plus community and are sober. And so that's what Great. got me to stay, you know, especially meeting Arabs, like, the fact that I can log into meetings and I like see somebody like, like somebody logged on and it was like Yusuf Abdul Wahab and I'm like what, <laughs> you know, like who, where are you from, where, who are you, <laughs> like in a gay meeting too, like what? <laughs> so that's what saved me. That's what lead, led me back meetings, AA meetings, but inclusive AA meetings because yeah. I can't, I can't go to meetings that are for straight people. I can't go to meetings that are centered around white people and a lot of times in AA they'll be like that's an outside issue no I drink over shit like Palestine it's not an Mm -hmm. outside issue for me that was one of the things I drank over because I carry that trauma and that trauma is a part of my family history so to tell me it's not it's an outside issue is almost an insult because because you're in there yeah Yeah. when, when shit would hit the fan and what shit always hits the fan and full of steam but it's like when it does what, what would I do to like to kind of like work with those feelings just binge drink because that's all I knew how to do so I love going to rooms where I can like walk in and say that I'm anti-Zionist and I'm Palestinian and and um people are like nodding their heads you know or people are messaging me like what's Pakistani and I'm like I'm you know <laughs> Because there's always those people like, what are you, Puerto Rican, Pakistani? No, Palestinian. <laughs> but, they got one but letter, yeah. right? Yeah, right. 
Right. <laughs> at least a, at least a piece. <laughs> So, and they're yeah. so and, and sometimes they're just so cluelessly innocent it's like so where is that is that like near india yeah <laughs> a little bit <laughs> like i'm not sure oh, I, on this I whole know. geography business <laughs> right well they get confused too i think also especially in america is a country is that if you're you know you're black you're white or you're latino so when we come in it's like, what the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, or you're Puerto Rican. You? <laughs> yeah, and then and then that's like the census has me identifying as white, like white parentheses including Middle Eastern origin. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm Asian. <laughs> okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's very. Um, it's it's. I think it's confusing for people, like, because we're kind of we're a gray area for a lot of people here in the United States. <laughs> yeah i think some people need to just learn some geography but i don't think i think that's like a big ask at this point (laughs) it is a big ask we're asking for way too much it's like i'm just gonna need to like for you to be able to open this map up right here and like be able to point in the general area no more to the left a little more left up yeah good you're yeah just a little more that way good fine yeah that's where that's where that's where it is so like that is one of the you can google it yourself questions like i've moved away from like telling people like no just google it don't don't waste emotional labor because then i realized when sometimes when you google shit you get like the like propaganda shit right because they've just like bought out the slots so yes. i think that that's kind of like falling apart as a strategy but like maps maps you can google that that much yeah that much people well, can... you know what that's a lot of people get confused especially when they say like oh where you're palestinian where where is that oh it's like in palestine oh like what like what where where is that like oh my grandma was born in bethlehem oh so you're jewish no oh no i'm Palestinian of a Christian family that also always fucked people because which like, is funny because you're, like, you're not Muslim <laughs> but like but like the the Bethlehem thing there's like Jesus you know <laughs> so <laughs> I, know. I know but you know to them they put us in a box they really do they feel yeah. like they have us all figured out so the second we leave the little box that they've made for us they start running around in circles because they're like, wait, like, I thought I had you all figured out and your existence is controversial. Like the fact that you said you're, you're Palestinian made me uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, so I've come to, I've come to terms that that's just, you know, it, it's funny, especially here in, in the music industry, everybody is very um, Zionist oriented. I would say that there's definitely been a shift over the, like the last four months all of a sudden like people on mm-hmm. instagram are like showing support for palestine i'm like shocked truly um but yeah i was just kind of like i just i i keep going so that i can continue to show people like we exist and we don't exist like you think we exist mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's important i think um given that a lot of the world is like that. Um, it's important that you're creating s- spaces and 
sober spaces where you don't have to deal with that shit and other people don't have to deal with that shit or whatever their um, equivalent of that shit is for uh, whatever type of person of color they are. Right. Completely agree. I mean, I've had people say like somebody talk about, I had a woman share in a meeting say, um, you know, when people in AA tell me like to like, where there is hate, find love. Like, what if, what if I you can't. came across somebody that was a KKK member? Like, am I supposed to meet them with love? Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know? And then all the white people are like, outside issue. <laughs> you know? That or like, when you're trying to, like, you're on the, it's like, hey, I'm Palestinian. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the first date. No need to get political already. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Completely completely because my existence is controversial it really is my mere existence it's it's actually it's it's mind-boggling especially out here a lot of people approach me I went to an AA meeting and I can tell that this person was of Jewish descent and they said oh Stammer that's like a that's an interesting name like where are you from it's all born and raised in Chino Hills oh okay um but like where are you from from i'm like oh well i live in hollywood now oh but you weren't always here right it's like no it's was born here in america oh but sam like that's just like an interesting name what is that and i'm like you know like i'm trying so hard to avoid having this conversation yeah. <laughs> i'm like i'm palestinian um but i'm born here mm-hmm. and it's like oh, okay cool 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 yeah it's like <laughs> I, I it's like I like you. You're cute, but I'm not going to justify my existence to you. So let's just no. not. No, no, no. I don't. I don't want to have a. Con- I don't want to have the conversation. I'm glad that you caught. You know my curls. I'm glad that you caught mm-hmm. my name. I'm glad that you, you know, want to know where I came from or wh- who and what I am. But I just I don't want to go there, and I try not to. But <laughs> sometimes. You sometimes you do. do. Yeah, like. Sometimes I just want to flip that script and be like, go up to white people, and be like, "Yeah, you're in America, but where are you really from?" You know? It's like, I'm sorry, I don't believe. I'm sorry, I just don't. I don't believe in white people. You know, I don't think they're. I don't think they're real. It's fabricated. They're usually bad news. Like I read history. Yeah. And like <laughs> didn't didn't hear good things. Like I don't believe it. Right. Like, like who? Like. These people just come out of nowhere and like just genocide the native inhabitants of mm. of the Americas. Like who yeah, does that? Yeah, kind of sus. Yeah. <laughs> who does that? It's so funny you say this because my cousin, he's in his 80s. He was granted asylum here. And of course he works at a gas station in Santa Ana. And so <laughs> there was one time he was speaking Arabic and a white man came in and he told him like, this is, this is America. You know, we speak English here. (laughs) My uh, cousin is so cute. He um, chased him out to his car and told him, you go back to Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and in that moment, I realized, oh, my gosh, this country is like the fact that people think that United States of America is like what indigenous to white people is. It's just it's yeah. Yeah, it's funny because it's like, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Okay, I guess we should wrap it up soon. Um, do you want to tell people about nice. anything that's uh, coming up for you or anything you're working on right now? Sure. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to release my next single. I'm trying to get it together. I'm meeting up with some uh, band people, like you know, some musicians from my school. And so my next single is going to be about uh, deciding that I'm going to get my life together and trying to find, you know, trying to find that peace. I just trying to make trying to put music there that has less to do with sexualizing, um, sexualizing just humans or ro just romanticizing everything and just kind of more about everyday issues so that's kind of mm -hmm. my next project is just to kind of put out more music that um isn't like derogatory in the sense of that i'm going to be choosing to objectify people <laughs> yeah awesome um where could people follow you yeah on instagram at juicy underscore fruit underscore chew <laughs> okay that's Love on it. instagram and once you get there you can find everything else um because i just you know i need to start branding better and having a consistent name on all platforms <laughs> yeah branding is overrated though like really thank you for saying that uh, yeah like do you want people to not have names like Juicy Fruit Chew? Like, like is that the world we want to live in where people don't have names like that? <laughs> That's that not the world I want to live in. Nadia, you're I making agree. me regret our branding now. <laughs> oh, no. I would love to. I mean, to. I mean, okay, I guess if you want my actual opinion on this, like, it feels very different for me for, like, branding a podcast, which is, like, an entity that, like, a few of us participate in versus like branding myself feels weird you know I'm like I'm mm. not a I'm not like a persona I'm a person right yeah that's where I went to with like trying to figure out a stage name I was like I'm nobody else but Sam and just, like I don't yeah. know what to put like I'm not gonna make it easier for you to say I'm not gonna make it easier for you to remember it's just who I am <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah 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 thank you guys for having me i really feel honored and where are you guys located um i am in brooklyn and, and i'm currently in houston wow brooklyn yeah. and houston oh my gosh brooklyn i want to go to new york everyone let me know if you do <laughs> i, I want to move there but i have to sell my soul <laughs> i feel like one of us needs to like move to dearborn at this point though it, it feels necessary um but it's i can't deal with cold so i think someone else has to volunteer i guess it's me give me give me, okay. give me a couple of years I'll, I'll work on it it's the arab headquarters i'm so dead yeah hey nadia i love that hey nadia speaking of branding where can people find us Great segue. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Queer Arabs. Um, you can also check us out on thequeerarabs.com. And if you want to talk to us, you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. Mm -hmm.